Sound design. Live. That blows some people away because they don't think about that and they think we're here to try to please all these other people. You cannot do it. It's impossible. I can't make them all happy. And in fact, sometimes I can't make any of them happy. Sound design. Live. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by Andrew Stone from the MXU podcast. Andrew, thanks for joining me on Sound Design Live. Man, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. So, Andrew, I definitely want to talk to you about uh, the training you do through MXU, your work as a production director, and touring as an audio engineer. But first of all, when you were touring, back when you were doing that full-time, what was the first test track you might play once you got into a room and got a sound system up and running? I was always a fan of Chicago. I, and I don't know why I was always drawn to that music. Uh, some of the some of their records David Foster produced, and they just sounded huge and big, and they had a little bit of brass and a, a lot of strings and big drums and all that. The thing I liked about it though is it had so much dynamic range that I could play them in a system, and I felt like I was hearing all kinds of stuff that if I could smooth it out and make it sound good to me, I was actually really set up for a show. Man, I would play that all the time. And in fact, whether it was with a you know, a secular band or a Christian band or whatever, and I remember many times being in a church, just, just some church with whatever band, and I would play that stuff during the day, tuning, tuning the system, getting stuff together, and so many pastors would have problems with that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, we don't play that kind of music in here. And I'm like, <laughs> well, we aren't doing a concert together. I'm with a band that's rented your building, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Okay. But that was, I mean, that was like my go-to. Um, and I, I think I was still using CDs at the time. Um, sure. So I was carrying them around. And I still have a few of those CDs, and they're so scratched, they can't, they don't even play anymore. But... You loved them to death. Man, I'm telling you. And then I had other other groups that were like very close to, to the Chicago. It was like the original Mr. Mr. record. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I could put that in, and I felt if I could get that dialed in where that just, that just really kicked and the vocals were smooth and all that, that I was dialed. And you know what? For the most part, uh, I can still put those songs in today and use those same reasonings, and it does work. So go figure. Wow. So uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe you should be sending a thank you letter or some uh, <laughs> some checks to uh, whoever yeah. is in charge maybe, of Chicago now for all of your success. Yeah. Or maybe they should be sending me. Oh, right. For all the advertising. Right? I guess it's yeah. mutual. You guys are probably even. At yeah. This point. It might have worked out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Andrew. So MXU specializes in audio training for the House of Worship market through live workshops, small group training, and... Um, now you have some on-demand videos on your site. So for people who have never heard of MXU before, this is their first time hearing of it, what should they know about it? MXU, we started this, uh, and, and this is what this was what makes this a unique situation. Uh, we started this, uh, me and two other partners, Lee Fields and Jeff Sandstrom. We were at a conference, and we had all three been booked as a panel. And I think we were the only three on the panel at some conference somewhere, and it was an audio workshop. Now, that's what it said, audio workshop. Um, That usually denotes some kind of workshop activity happening, right? So we find out as we get closer to the event that there's really nothing workshop about it. It's just a, a room at a convention center. There wasn't even a PA system in the room. Okay. (laughs) So it's the three of us in a room that's set up for a banquet or something, and a whole bunch of people show up because, you know, we were not that we're so great or anything, but they were interested. Well, what are you going to do? And I remember the first, and it was moderated. And the first question was, okay, so you walk up to a console uh, for a a gig. What's the first thing you do? And it was so, yeah, well, it was so foreign because we're going, I'm sitting here 
with nothing. Like I have, there's no gear. There's no, we have nothing to talk about. So we muddled through the hour and a half, whatever it was, and it was just dumb. I'm sure whoever was there got something from what we said, but we just felt stupid. Like it was just wasn't, that's not the way you do that. So later that day, we were grabbing a bite to eat or somewhere and you know, I just want to get in a room and set up all my stuff and have you guys set up all your stuff and just listen to what you're doing and watch what you're doing so I can get better. Like, where do we actually go to learn from one another? If you're running sort of at the top of your game, no, no ego here, but you're, like, where, where do you, where do you go? Who's teaching us? Sure. It's a lonely place. Yeah, at it is. And we, and we, well, and we all, we spend Not that, all but of, we do, we do work by ourselves. That's right. It's, very it's, a, it's a solo job. It really is. And we spend a lot of time talking about, um, leading others and teaching others and pouring in others. But where do we get fed, you know, from, for work wise. Sure. And we're like, well, we could do this. We all we, we travel all the time. We're all around the all over the place. We could find a, a warehouse somewhere. Like, let's just pick Vegas. We all know people in Vegas. We could pick a warehouse somewhere, get our gear, get our tracks, and do this, and just just spend a couple days. And this was purely for our edification. Like that was the conversation. And then I think Lee says, you know, I bet there's quite a few other people that would want to get in on this. And we all just kind of looked at each other and went, what the heck? That's true. And that's where our idea for MXU was born. We're thinking, let's get in a room. Let's set up. Let's, and we are going to have a conversation, the three of us. And we're going to also let in a few hundred of our closest friends that want to get in on it. <laughs> sure. And, and we're not there to try to impress everybody. We're not there to show off. I am literally walking away from every event we do. Now, we've obviously got more stuff going on now than events, but for every event we do, I walk away a better engineer still. And that's our awesome. that's our rule. Mm-hmm. If we get to the end of the day and we, you know, we go get go relax at, at the end of the night and chilling out a little bit, we'll ask each other, uh, we've done it every single time, did we all learn something today? And we all three are our thumbs up and in the affirmative, we're like, all right, we'll do another one. Right? I mean, so if we because if we quit learning, what's the point? So that's where this whole thing was started. So of course you get into that and it starts spawning other things. Uh, so trying to, well, let's let's put a podcast together and talk to people that we're interested in, that we want to hear something from. I want to hear from Pooch. I want to hear from Robert Scovel. I want to hear from Zito because I'm interested. I want to hear from the freaking guy who mixes all the Grammys and all. I mean, I want to hear what's he got to say about this stuff. It's unbelievable the stuff we've been able to uncover and put out there. I guess you could say we started this selfishly, but it was on a quest on how we could improve ourselves. And so it's it's honestly, we just asked people to come along for the ride. So now we've got... Um, we did the MXU Now video series, which is a subscription-based setup. We made it very, very, very cheap so that any church, any individual could get involved, spread it to your team, and it's and it's a library. And we've all heard of that stuff before. You know, there's this is we're not the first people to ever think of this, but we tried to do it in a in a way that still kept the conversation going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. The three of us talking to each other, that's how we did it. So it's not me standing there with the microphone touting the beauty of the microphone. It's me standing there with my three buddies or my two buddies going, what What if we did this? How does it work here? And, and it's all the stuff that a viewer or uh, an engineer would want to know because, I mean, I'm talking to myself. This is stuff I would want to know, you know, if I had the opportunity. So. Sure. So that's kind of what spawned all of this stuff, the live workshops. Um, now we went into what we call, uh, it's small group training, but we, we call it coaching. That was a good moniker to use. Mm-hmm. And we started discovering that, you know, you know, I mentioned, you know, this is sort of a lonely existence. You know, front of house, when you're mixing, I don't really care what size room it's in. Uh, it's, you're kind of by yourself. And sometimes that's weird. You can be out in a room completely full of people and you're very lonely. And it's good to talk to other comrades and realize that you're not the only one. 
So we just we were like, what would happen if we got people talking and started the conversation? Not that we have a bunch of unbelievably magic things to say, but we do have a platform and we can make it available, you know, to everybody else. Sure. So it just was like, you know, let's go where the river leads us and and do it. So that's kind of how this has evolved. And it's um, so far seems to be hitting a really cool um, need out there. That's really great to hear, Andrew. So you are currently the production director and senior audio engineer at Church on the Move in Tulsa. So that's where you are now. But I'm curious, how did you get your first job in audio? Like, what was your first paying gig? I'm glad you said it that way. Because <laughs> I, I, whenever I talk to people, I'm like, uh, when you say how long you've been doing this, I'm like, let's start from when you first started getting paid. Because so many people are like, oh, yeah, I've been doing this for 72 doing years. doing this since I could walk. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. Somebody somewhere thought you were good enough to pay you. When did that start? My dad was a volunteer tech guy at our church when I was little. I mean, okay. you know, until he... I don't know how crazy that is, but uh, sure. Well, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> he wasn't like uh, a rock star or anything, but in my eyes he was. Because okay. he was doing stuff that I just thought was amazing. And so I would go with him all the time, you know? A dumb little kid tagging along, and I remember sitting on the floor underneath the audio console, and I re- I have all these memories, and just I was around it. I mean, he taught me how to solder. He made sure I knew that lead core solder wasn't a great idea to inhale, <laughs> yeah. things like that. And I am completely not that way. Like I am not the tech guy that you ever want to ask how something's put together because mm-hmm. I just I don't care enough about it. But uh, I know it because I started getting interested in it early on. So so if you use that as a grid, that's sort of where I kind of came from. And I was a musician. My mom forced me to play piano. When you don't want to play piano and you're forced to play piano, it's terrible. <laughs> but, okay. So I was. Sure. I learned how I mean, to play I feel piano. Like bagpipes or like oh. uh, violin could be worse, but oh sure, piano's got to be pretty bad. Yeah. Bagpipes and like banjos and stuff. Those are. I, I say it sometimes. That's got to be the soundtrack if you're in hell. I mean, there's just <laughs> no way around it. So, or the recorder. Remember in mm, grade sure. school they make you learn the recorder, and I was like, Oh wow! Is there a more annoying sound in beeper, the universe? Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> Well, so I'm I'm playing piano and I I I'm good. I mean I'm I'm pretty, you know I'm I'm learning and it's not natural, but I'm I'm learning. And she I always had good teachers. And one day in the attic, I found a drum. Uh oh. Yeah, they should have hidden that a lot better. So I found a drum in a case. I get it down. I look at it. Well, it's my dad's from when he was in high school. And I still have that drum, and it's a collector's item oh, that cool. was just sitting in the attic that I've since had restored and all that. But that sent me down the whole drum path, much to my mom's dismay, I think. And like I never looked at the piano again. <laughs> so, so you take this little this little nerdy side of like I've kind of been dabbling. I've seen how electronics work. I get how sound works. I kind of like what you're able to do with it. Then you add in that I started playing drums really young, and I had already had a background in all the theoretical part of of piano, which, I mean, all of a sudden you can read music, you can understand charts, you, you know what chords are, all that kind of stuff. And that's what I thought I was going to do, man. It was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be God's gift to drumming. Sure. And I was drums, the most annoying drum guy in the world was me, all... All into my 20s. What made you so annoying? Um, because I played and tapped all the time. Okay. Like enough <laughs> where you want to yeah. like break my hands off. exactly what you, you know? mean. Yeah, that guy. And now I see Shut that. I'll be, yeah, I'll be in an airport or something and I'll see that guy and I'm just like, I want to kill him. And then I'm like, hold <laughs> it. That was totally me. When I finally moved to Nashville, you can be the best musician in the universe. You go to Nashville and you realize how much you suck. Oh, wow. Because there are some people there who are just gods at what they do mm-hmm. i mean 100 percent. they are amazing and they get the calls and they do the sessions and they're on every record you ever listen to and they're fantastic a lot of the other people wait tables hmm. and i was just like 
I, it didn't take me long. I got, I played on a few records. I did my thing. I was good, but I could tell this was a whole different level that I wasn't prepared for. But I did always notice that there weren't a lot of sound guys and things never sounded as good as I thought they could. So I just started evolved into, or maybe devolved into hanging out in the back of the room with the audio people instead of playing all the time because there's not enough gigs to go around. Right. But there Supply was, and demand. Yeah, man. And so all of a sudden I'm thrust on in a console situation or front of house or on monitors or something. I sort of understood it. So that's, that's like the big picture. The first place that I actually got paid to do audio in what I would consider a professional touring situation. I'm going to be completely transparent here with you. It's with, it was with a Christian artist I don't know why that's so uh, embarrassing. Well, uh, I haven't told you the name yet. Okay. As with a Christian artist, prepare yourself. Okay. Named. Sitting down. Carmen. Jesus said, go ahead, make my day. I was a fledgling audio engineer. Uh, I had just finished getting my education at Oral Roberts University. So this so this is a parallel track. So I was a drummer, getting ready to move to Nashville, all this kind of thing. But I was still, I was finishing college and all that, right? So, so I have two different avenues here. I'm a musician, that's what I'm going to do. But I was actually becoming fairly okay at getting around a console for just basic events and stuff. Okay. I was at an arena here in town, or here in Tulsa, and I, uh, Tulsa is where I live now, but I was only here because I was attending Orwich University. I wasn't like a Tulsan. I happened to be working at the Maybe Center, which is an arena here in town, and Carmen had it rented and was doing tour rehearsals there. Mm-hmm. Now, being a staff engineer at an arena is really a terrible job. I mean, that's, I mean, how, how cool is that? Like you're basically doing a whole lot of setting up speakers on a stick with, you know, a, a, you know, a podium mic and that kind of thing. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that, because I toured some arenas and I met some people who just work at arenas. And at first I thought, <laughs> oh, cool, you're working on big, cool shows all the time. No. But then I took a look at their control rooms and sometimes they were like the dinkiest like least well-equipped control rooms, and they may have some pretty big speaker systems in there, but that's because generally if you're using house sound at an arena, it seemed like to me, and you can now answer this, it seemed like to me you're doing maybe a single microphone for announcements. Correct. Especially if you're at like, you know, your hockey arenas. That's it. That's it. And and it's, so it's, it sounds like a cool job, but it's not really, it's more maintenance and keeping antiquated equipment working great and all that. I mean, that's really what it is. Um, well, I just happened to be, so we were, you know, where there's no events going on for, for this time because he's got this whole place rented. I just happened to be walking through the hallway, uh, and I overhear, you know, that, so, and I was not a touring guy. I didn't know how this worked, but now I know that it was a a visiting production crew, uh, production office. Mm -hmm. And they had just taken over one of the dressing rooms. And I hear this guy talking, talking to someone else on the phone that, yeah, they're going to have to let this guy go. And he's not working out. And if they can, he's like, where in the heck am I going to find a monitor engineer in Tulsa? Like he's kind of, you know, joking. Wait, hold on. You just happen to walk by yes. at the perfect time to yes. hear someone getting fired over the phone well, or hear he, about it. Yes. And I hear it. And I stop. Oh. I stopped and I hear this guy. Now, he's got a huge voice. Big, tall Danish guy, uh, kind of has a little bit of a of an accent, a little bit, and so it, you know you you hear it and you catch it, and the doors open because there's you know there's nothing going on. He's just in there working, you know whatever on the phone, and I just hear it, and I'm just I can see myself. It's like an out of body experience. I'm like Stone, this is it. Future you better do something, uh-huh. whether you have to lie or whatever you do. You, you don't don't miss this. Oh wow. No kidding, the guy, like I'm standing there and all of a sudden he's at the door. I don't know if he heard me or if he's, or he was just leaving the room, but he's done with the call. He's standing at the door. And I just said, like a moron, 
are you looking for a monitor engineer? <laughs> hi. <laughs> and, hi. I don't know who you are. And I'm the biggest dork ever. I've got short haircut. I'm I'm just a dork. I haven't I mean I haven't done anything that I would consider cool. I've done some traveling. I've been overseas a little bit, but it was always with, you know, it wasn't I wasn't getting paid, right? So let's go back to that. I wasn't getting paid, so it wasn't professional. Let's put it that way. And he just goes, yeah, you know how to mix in-ears? Now, this is like 91 or 2 or something. And you're like, in-ears in were, were brand new. Okay. Marty Garcia had just created a company called Future Sonics. It was all FM and VHF wireless. Oh, I mean, wow. it's, I mean, that technology. And I stupidly said, yeah, I, I know all about it. I have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, I, I don't. I, I really don't know. And he's like, so we started talking. He goes, all right. So, and he goes, so you're the engineer here at the building. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I do. And he goes, all right. We've got rehearsals uh, tonight. It's our last day of rehearsals. And we leave on tour the next day. So last rehearsals tonight. Everything's dialed in. If you can go out there and get yourself through the rehearsal and Carmen likes you and the band likes you and all that, uh, then we'll talk. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I go out there and I'm looking at the console. I, I mean, he, he just said, go out. There's nobody out there. So you might as well go out there and get familiar with stuff. And I literally, I don't have any in-ears. I don't have, I mean, nothing. But everything's dialed in. Like, they've been rehearsing for a week or two. There's all these packs. And I kind of just start figuring out, you know, from the electronics background, how this stuff is working and all this kind of junk. And we do it. And I i don't think I use the bathroom all day. Because I'm, I'm like, <laughs> what have I done? I lied. And I got into this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a fraud. Everything's stupid. Sure. They're all going to hate me. They loved it. Wow. And he said, he okay. gets done and he goes, it was the first time I've had my ears mixed musically. It sounded like I was listening to a thing. And that's all I knew how to do, right? The music background and all that. So all of a sudden I'm going, wow, my parents weren't as stupid as I thought. They made me have all this stupid music background and i that's all I knew it's how to do. It's all coming together. It's all paying off. Yeah. And I was using like a crappy set of, you know, Sony over the ear headphones and all that. Well... So we get done. Carmen's like, man, that's great. Uh, and he just tells the tour manager right there. He's like, yeah, you need to, you need to get him on the tour. Wow, and like, he walks excellent. off. All right. So tour manager goes, okay, well, we're leaving tomorrow. Bus calls at midnight. Holy shit. Now, I don't even know what that means. Uh, bus, what's a bus call? Sure. Um, Should I get yeah. on the bus? Or? Yeah. And I said, <laughs> I, I was like... <laughs> Okay, so this is this is good. I asked if I needed a sleeping bag. <laughs> I oh, did, boy. and I think about it now, and I go, I am such a clod. Awesome. Who does that? So, I in the next morning, I quit my job, and they were so gracious, man. The the guy who ran the building, was so cool. Oh, good. He said, Andrew, I love this. I I I told the guys when I hired you. Uh, while you're still a student, that we you weren't going to be here long. Oh, okay. And I and I said, well, I kind of took it as an insult. He goes, no, 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 because I knew you were destined for much better things. Sure. So, and I was like, wow, that's cool that for him to say that. So I figured it out, man. I, and in like that day, was like, well, I'm just going to leave. And and I left. I remember I left a bank a blank um, stack of checks with a friend. I was like, can you pay my bills and get my mail? I don't even know how this works. And I went off and did it. And so within like a week or two, I was in the biggest arenas in North America. That's amazing. Then we were overseas, all this stuff. And and it was like stupid, huge touring. Andrew, we need, to, we need to pause and reflect for a second because we <laughs> both were just talking about how it sounds like working at an arena, being the house guy full time whatever, uh, is the worst job. And yet the places you could make the right contacts or get exposed to people that would get you into touring, you could probably count the number of places on your hand, right? right. So that's one of those places. And not only did it get you exposed to that and then you got the job, you could, you potentially skipped over, you know, years of work 
that you might have needed to work up to that yeah. position. If that was your goal, let's say your goal is my life goal is to do arena touring, which it is for plenty of people. I want to work on big shows. Yeah. And so then they start out working on, you know, the smallest shows in the smallest yeah. city in the world. And then maybe it takes a decade or two to, to get up there. But instead you were, you know, went from, from basically being the janitor to working at the top yeah, of the and industry. I, and I did it from lying. So, I mean, everybody that says <laughs> lying doesn't pay off. They're wrong. Here, so here's the you thing. You didn't though. lie. You just you just didn't let the. You just, I disguised uh, the truth. Okay, yeah. You didn't. So, but here's the thing. In my head, I was not an audio engineer, because remember, I was a drummer. I hadn't moved to Nashville yet. I was, I was doing this because it was a way to make money and and to to just make a living, not not make money, but just just to live. Every time I was home, I was drumming. I was focused on that. That's what oh, I was going to do. Got it. In, so this was quotes. a big shift. Yeah. So when I eventually, so I'm still touring. I, you know, you start making contacts and all that kind of thing. And then uh, I get to, uh, you know, I finally moved to Nashville. I'm still touring with these same places, et cetera, et cetera. I'm still trying to be. A drummer. Oh wow! Even though I, but but that's when I really got to Nashville and I start turning around, going, "Shoot, I'm like an audio guy." <laughs> oh wow! It so, dawned on you the moment yes, of realization. Yes, and then I then I just kind of realized, and that's when I kind of had to have some. There was a God moment in there of like, okay, are you willing to not be a drummer when that's all that's been in your brain since you were a little kid? Since I found that drum in the attic, are you willing to not do that to do this? Because your talent, not that you're a terrible drummer, but but I, I mean, and these are like internal discussions I was having with my brain. You've really become a really good engineer because you're doing it from a musical point of view. You're you're approaching it differently than a lot of the other guys out there at the time who were approaching it very technically. But you kind of can't do both. It was gray for a long time until I had to identify in my head that, huh. You're mixing. You're not playing. Um, interesting. Wow, welcome you know? to your new life. Yeah, right. So, Andrew, um, I know you went on to tour a lot more after that, and and I thank you for you know being so honest and, and sharing about your life. I'd like to focus on one specific moment in your career, and that is based on this article that is the most shared article on the NMXU site, which is called Own It. And in it, you describe a time in your life when you were working as a touring audio engineer and a tour manager. So you were in the middle of doing a bunch of shows and um, you were on a plane flight and you were with the artist, your client, I guess. And you guys were talking and you were basically explaining a problem that you're having. And, and in the article, you describe how you are going into a lot of detail, maybe too much detail. And then... Um, I think that artist stopped you and she said something to you that turned out to be a pivotal moment in your life. So I was wondering if you could take us to that moment and describe what happened. Even as you were just recounting that, it's I can see it in my head. Um, I'm sure we all have those moments. I can remember where I was flying to. It was, I think we were on a flight from Louisville to Salt Lake to connect to somewhere else on a Delta Com airplane. Oh, wow. And those those planes held fifty people, and they had four seats across, pretty small seats. And I'm a big guy, so she and I would always sit next to each other because I was tour manager, mixed, took care of the took care of all the stuff. But also, she was a little bit vulnerable, just as far as a lot of people wanted her time and all that. So I would almost serve as her bouncer sometimes, oh, wow. okay. just just sure. you know, just kind of trying to people block that, that kind of thing. Body man. Yeah, right. And so we would always ride together and and that was cool and so I can't get away from her in that scenario on this plane. I mean, you can't get up and I hate you and leave. I mean, where are you going to go? And if I tried to stand up, I mean, my head would slam against the ceiling cuz it's such a small plane and it would be embarrassing and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And you're right. I was going into a lot of detail, which I did normally. That was just my, there was some massive failure the night before. I think it had to do with like a wireless mic. It was something so dumb, but it just, it Classic. was a, 
it plagued the entire night, sure. and she really mm-hmm. was off her game because of it. And I knew that we have took care of the problem. Blah blah blah. She stopped. She goes, you know what, Andrew? It just feels to me like you're just making excuses. I pay you a lot of money to deal with this stuff because I don't want to. Wow. But all the excuses that you're giving me, all it does is make you come across like a little, little man. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, awesome. And she's like, I'm like four times her size. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't go anywhere. And I immediately feel, you ever just feel your face? You know it's bright red because you're so embarrassed and pissed at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. And she like literally doesn't continue the conversation she turns back down and keeps reading her people magazine i'm like no you can't just throw that out there and be done with it like we got to get into it mm-hmm. like i'm ready like, let's fight what are we gonna do and she she said all she said all she needs to say all she's indicating is that you have to just own it and go with it and do it See, this is what you realize later i'm sure yes, i don't know that that's... entire plane flight i'm sure you were you oh. know I was too pissed to even under to even think. I didn't even tell my wife that this had happened until a couple of days later because I was so embarrassed. Oh wow! So you were angry and this. embarrassed for days. I didn't want to talk to her or be around her or anything because she. It wasn't what she said was so offensive, but she was so right and she hit it so on the head mm-hmm. that it's embarrassing. Right, really and as struck a man, into. Uh, you know, some kind of fears that you had. Yeah. Sure. And it hit a, it hit a chord. I mean, I, I was just kind of going, I can't believe that I am that invisible. Like how did she get through my exterior? Like how, how did that happen? Cause I, I'm how really, dare you? yeah, mm-hmm. I'm great at building up walls to keep you out. How could you penetrate that? A few days later, you know, I'd kind of relaxed from that and I'm sure I had a day off somewhere and all that. And, and I remember just for a few days, I didn't, I didn't talk to her. I was just, I just tell her like, it's time to go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Here's, you know, and I would, I mean, we just did our, I did my job. Business-like. Yeah. And I remember telling my wife a few days later, and she goes, and here's what my wife said. Well, she's right. What? And I'm just like, what the <laughs> crap is going on? She knew I've been as betrayed well. by everyone. Yes. And, but here's the thing. What I took away from that, this was pivotal for me because up until that time, and I think this hits so hard to so many of us up until that time my identity was completely andrew the touring guy that's what everybody knew me about knew me as that's what they knew i was good at that's what they called me for i was the problem solver i would get called by a by a band that was in the toilet and they needed someone to help get their operation going they needed good sound and i could do all that I was I was really good at finances and I could tour manage, I could put together a team, I could mix, you know, get the gear, all that. That's what I was known as. I had a very small view of myself as who's Andrew apart from what he does. Who am I as just a dude? What are my beliefs? What do I even like to do? Values. And man, I'm married at the time. I mean, I'm not. I'm not like aimless in life. I've yeah, very successful. You've got other stuff going on. Yeah, man. We've we're in Nashville. We have a nice place, and I mean, everything's cool. It changed everything, and I had to actually sit with myself and counsel myself. I know that all sounds weird, but again, I don't have a lot of well, people yeah, to I talk mean, to. Th- I'm not. You didn't have a therapist. No, not at all. I mean, nothing. I wasn't heavily involved in church because uh, I was gone so much. My wife was, but I, I there was no community of dudes. There was no small group, none of that junk. But I did come to the realization that I really have to get this taken care of. If she saw this so clearly and called me on a blind spot that it was so invisible to myself, that means it's really obvious. Turns out it was. I mean, my wife is like, yeah, I've, I've thought that for a long time. Wasn't real sure how to tell you, you know, because you're, because it's, that's got to be something sensitive and all that. But it, the the end of that whole story is it completely allowed me to pivot on the way I view my responsibility to myself, to my life, to my relationships, my faith, everything, in discovering who I was apart from what I do. Mm-hmm. So that is a story that um, 
I think resonates with a ton of people we come into contact with. Just me personally, as a leader, as someone who builds teams, as someone who gets to speak to a lot of people um, through our MXU, this is a pretty big deal to be able to talk to guys. Mostly it's mostly it's a guy thing, not being sexist. It's just a lot of dudes haven't come to that realization. Of, sure, they have a lot of their self-worth tied into their absolutely. job and whatever they perceive and, as their value, their importance. Man, that's right. And, you know, I think we all go through life and encounter those people all the time. I mean, we do. You think about just people in big business, a lot of them, if you strip that away, they are they fall into the darkest depression and the darkest of darks and all that. And I'm not saying that isn't somewhat normal when something big happens, but when you don't have any identity of who you are, man, that's so much tougher. So so that conversation on that plane, on that calm air jet, it sh- and it completely flipped everything around for me and it's given me a ton of basis for where I am now and where I'm going and you know, what I'm doing and all that. Andrew, there's a great moment in the book, Get On Tour, where Robert Scoville describes what he thinks is uh, one of the biggest problems that a lot of people on tour have. And it's what you just described. The feature of the story is people who, who they are is connected to someone else. So connected to an artist, particularly. So I am connected to this artist. And then if anything were to jeopardize that, that would kind of cause your personality to crumble and you'd fall apart. And so he talks about the death of Tom Petty and how that affected his career and what he thought of as himself. And this big, you know, kind of realization that I'm not the Tom Petty guy. I'm the Robert Scoville guy. I'm the sound, you know, it's something else. So that caused him, you know, to, to make some reflection on what his values were in his personality. I can only imagine what kind of trauma that would bring, um, you know, to someone like him or like anybody else. I mean, you, you look at the amount of deaths that have happened in the music industry just in the last year of these iconic people. And I immediately wonder, man, what's it like to be their support staff? Mm-hmm. I can't say that I've had that happen to me, but I think I can identify somewhat with just the sense of loss, even losing a a job or a gig or the tour's over or now what do we do? The record's played out with the band and they're done and they're going to do something else. What do you do now? And I tell you that that identity situation is so important of, of still knowing who you are apart from that situation. I can't say it enough. I don't think it's something that you actually get to and you've arrived. It's a, it's an ongoing you have to, process it is okay. man it's on it's yeah, every day every day every situation is this am i good here <laughs> am, I, am i cool do we have this you know that kind of thing it's a it's a big deal it's a really big deal i imagine before you set foot outside of your house or your room or whatever or your you know your bunk if you're on a tour bus and you're saying am i doing this today to get someone else's approval or am I doing this today for me? Well, I shared this with, with a, a place I was at recently, a church. I was there to mix a weekend and and do some analyzing of the system. And, and we had a few minutes to kill. And all of the engineers from all these campuses were all sitting there. And, and the guy says, why do you do this? You know, tell, tell us why you do this. I think he is expecting a certain answer. And I just said, well, I do this for myself. And I and everybody that was sitting there watching and listening to me just kind of has their mouth. They kind of have their mouths open, going, <laughs> "What?" And I said, "I sit in front of house and I mix for myself because I'm an artist and I'm a creative being. The benchmark that I'm trying to reach is the highest in my head. No one else has one higher than I do. Mm. So if I can mix for myself and try to please myself and get to where I'm happy, I'm absolutely." positive it's going to be good enough for whoever else is expecting something from me okay that's a big deal and that's something that most people don't prescribe to Mm -hmm. you sit out in a building or a room any size and most people think man i've got to serve all these people yeah it's a service industry yeah it's impossible to serve them and make them happy you cannot do you cannot make them all happy look at how many complaints most engineers are going to get in life 
somebody's not going to be happy with you. So forget that. Figure out that you need to serve yourself. And I'm not talking about selfishness or ego. We need to be out there making ourselves feel good. You cannot tell me that Van Gogh was painting for any other reason except what was pleasing to him. Mm. And you look at that and go, that's really cool. A songwriter, well, you, you mentioned Tom Petty. He wrote songs that meant something to him. He didn't write songs that were going to be, oh, this is going to be a pop success. I'm writing this for all these people. No. He wrote stuff for himself that made himself feel good and probably to share some feelings or thoughts on stuff from his life. Perfect. Why aren't we doing that? I mean, that's the thing. And so I may do it through a technical medium, but it is a very creative, artistic situation that we're in. That blows some people away because they don't think about that and they think we're here to try to please all these other people. You cannot do it. It's impossible. I can't make them all happy. And in fact, sometimes I can't make any of them happy. I could try, but I would die trying. I guess I quit trying to do that as I started analyzing my life a little bit after this little encounter on that stupid plane. (laughs) (laughs) It was like... I started realizing, like, you know what? I need to just not worry about all that. If somebody asks me for details, fine. I'll give you details. Whatever. Here's a bunch of details. Great. Yay. All of a sudden, I realized that no one cared. Mm -hmm. There were so few people that wanted all that information that I didn't even have to worry about it. You know, that's that's cool to me. That's That's a cool revelation, and that's something that is actually quite freeing to just going through the day. And just go, you know what? If I'm keeping myself healthy mentally and keeping myself centered and trying to keep myself together, pleasing myself and serving myself is actually a really, really honorable quest and a really great way to try to get through the day. I was wondering if maybe you could talk about some of the biggest mistakes you see people making who are maybe new to mixing a worship service. Mm. I've heard the very best engineers in the universe do the absolute worst mix possible because I don't think they knew the context of the situation. Oh, wow. Seriously. And on the inverse of that, I've heard some of the most novice, inexperienced engineers do the most epic sounding mixes because they were right in the sweet spot of where they needed to be. Hmm, cool. Every time, even at the church I'm employed at, that I'm here a lot of the time, and I, I know I mean, I mean, know what's going on here. I'm in the loop. I always want to get, get the right context before I walk in. Did the creative team have an epiphany in the last six days that I don't know about? And they're all listening to some other kind of music that I'm not familiar with, and that's what they're expecting? <laughs> sure. Man, to me, that's like, all right, that's a big deal. Um, I need to get on board. And it might be some music that I hate, but I, I owe it to them to get on board, figure this out, listen to it, and try to serve you know the greater good. It's all about the context. You don't even need a Leatherman. <laughs> <laughs> to get the right information, to get into that right place so I can serve the greater good, what do I need to ask? Where were you running your last service? So I mentioned one of the, one of my partners in MXU. I was at their church uh, at one of their camp, big campuses um, a month or so ago, mixing all weekend with a band from here. I'm out front. I've never been in the room before. I've never mixed in the room before. I've never mixed on that PA before. I did have my own console and show file and all that, but I've got to get some information, or I'm gonna. I could either blow the place away or completely underwhelm what they've been working on as a church for quite some time. Okay. I want to know what what DB are you guys comfortable with in the room, um, A or C weighted? What kind of tone is that? Because, you know, just because you're at the right decibel level doesn't mean that the tone of what your mix is, you know, is, is the same. Is it bass heavy? Is it high end heavy? Is it... Are the mids all scooped out? You know, what are you doing? Do you ask them for a time component as well? So you ask them for LEQ 10 or 20 or something like that? Um, Generally, most people will tell you how they've been metering that. um, If that's a 30-second average or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I tend to enjoy reference 
times that are that are averaged a little bit. Um, so I will I will look at a meter uh, in real time, usually in the slow setting for whatever meter I'm using. But then I'll actually watch my dB level over a 30 second average. And I know that's a little bit longer, but that tends to give me a little more sense of you know where I'm going. Sure. And are you doing this with Smart or Sat Live, or this is a standalone I'll, meter of some kind? I usually do this with smart. Okay. Just it's what I'm used to, and I've used it for many, many years. And but I'll ask those questions. So, reference level. What kind of tone you've been doing? Hey, is there anywhere I can listen to something quick that you did last weekend? Sure. Not your big Easter thing. Not your big Christmas thing, where all of your stuff was perfect. I want to hear what you did last weekend. I see. So if you could sort of play last weekend's recording even through the yep. system, then that would give you a great idea of Absolutely. what they normally And some places I'll walk in and I'll ask them if they have um, multi-track recording with a digital console that uh, has rehearsal mode cool. or whatever. Yeah. I'll play an actual mix through and just let the engineer play it. Or I'll do it. Just play it through. We're not critiquing it. I'm just trying to listen to what's going on. And I can tell immediately what is good, bad, indifferent, whatever. And try to match that. My job is, I want things to be consistent. Most of them aren't coming there because of the mixing prowess. Mm -hmm. They're coming there for a completely different reason. They're coming there for a message or to be, be, to be moved or to be changed or whatever their quest is. So our job is, I want to be as consistent and unnoticeable as possible. So, Andrew... You travel a lot. Let's talk about some of the most important pieces uh, or tools that you keep in your kit when you carry. So you mentioned smart. Why don't you tell us like the rest of the audio analyzer pieces? So what about what pre yeah. mic do you carry? Yeah, so smart. And I'm using, I'm actually on my travel setup, my computer, I'm not using the latest version of smart. I'm using the version back. Version 7? Um, I think that's what oh, it wow. is. Because it just, it just rocks and it's simple and a lot of the other features I haven't needed. Uh, I'm using a really fantastic um, Earthworks mic. I've got several of those. It's one of the whatever they're high end M30 200 or M30. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I use for a reference mic. Oh. And the Pre is a real simple a USB Pre two. It's one of the ones Smart suggested years huh. ago okay. to use for all their stuff. And what's great is that um, that can go in and out. Um, so I can process everything in and out of my computer uh, through the pre, even my playback music and everything. Cool. So it can all go into a console dig if it needs to or whatever. That's a really handy device, and it's got really nice metering on it. So I always bring my set of headphones. I won't use anybody else's. What are they? Um, these are an old pair. I've got about eight pairs of them. I'm looking around. <laughs> okay. I actually don't have any sitting here, but they're an old pair of Sony uh, I think they're called uh, V700s. Okay. It's the the first model they came out with that had the 50 millimeter drivers mm. for the low end. Um, and I think they originally put out for DJs and stuff that were, you know, they couldn't get any low end out of their cans. And so these are like my favorite headphones ever. Cool. And I've bought them, scores of them. I mean, I've got, they just start getting ratty. And so there is a, I've had to replace pads on them and all this stuff, but they just sound very, very natural to oh, me. Cool. Um, I don't love headphones because when I'm mixing, I in fact, I try to use reference monitors or something in front of me that's not a headphone mm-hmm. because I think if I put on headphones, it completely changes uh, my ear fatigue situation. Mm-hmm. I know that's being picky, but like if you crank headphones up loud enough to hear them in a queue situation in a live event and you pull like you've just blasted your ears and that's just not cool so but i they are needed sometimes so i try to carry my own stuff there um and then all my own patch cables for anything that i'm bringing to patch in to work like my cables that are solid perhaps it's something that i built myself or had someone else build that I trust, like all my own cables, my own cables for even if I'm just hooking up an iPad or something, I'll use all my own stuff. And that's just a pet peeve of mine that I don't want any of that stuff to crap out by using some POS cable that somebody pulled out from behind a rack and, you know, pulled all the gaff tape off of it before they handed it to me or something. Mm -hmm. I carry my own, all my own, several different pairs of in-ear monitors, um, my own 
you know, you can't you can't travel anymore without noise noise canceling headphones, sure. Bluetooth headphones. Pretty simple setup uh, when I walk in because I'm I'm a firm believer, uh, and this is something we say at MXU, is uh, it's it's all about the Indian, not necessarily the arrow. It's the skill set that I'm bringing with my ears and my brain, not so much all the surrounding tools and stuff and gear and all that stuff I bring with me. So if I can roll in lightly, it just seems like it's a, I usually have a much better result. Nice. So, um, Andrew, tell me what is one book that has been immensely helpful to you? This book is amazing. It's a little book. And it's called a practical parody, but it's that's I think to bring levity that there's a cuss word in the title. Um, but the title is, uh, and I won't say the word, but it's called uh, the life changing magic of not giving a. Got it. Okay. Who wrote it? So Sarah Knight. This book hits every kind of thing you can think about. Why do we give a crap about all this stuff? And you know what? You don't have to. And and we go through life all the time feeling like there's so much stuff that we have to do and trying to measure up. Yeah. And I just go, somebody needs to say it and free us from all that crap. I've read it now many times, and it's a great reminder to myself of, man, don't take yourself so seriously. Sure. So much stuff that would bum you out is just not that important and nobody cares. This is a great connection to, you know, the – the big topic, the big question we were talking about earlier with who, who am I? What's my identity and why am I doing this I'm job? I'm telling you, so many people I run into, like I've sent this book to a lot of people. It's on Amazon. It's just easy to click it and send it and go, hey, not getting too much in your personal space, but you really need to read this book. <laughs> I mean, like really read this book. Do not do anything else until you read it. Yours truly, Andrew. <laughs> Um, Andrew, we've got a few questions from Facebook. I think we've got time for one. Uh, basically, it says, Justin says, if you two could have a battle for the best sound complaint you have received, that would be awesome. And, you know, I, it's not good to be negative, but um, you did mention earlier that being a sound engineer, you're going to hear a lot of complaints. So um, I thought we could just maybe uh, remember a couple to, to br- kind of bring everyone together. And my favorite are always the ones that um, have nothing to do with me because those are the easiest to laugh off. So, you know, I've heard, I've gotten plenty of complaints about the lights. Um, you know, I couldn't see their faces. Yeah. It wasn't bright enough. Right. And, and right. there's, you know, it's just kind of as people are leaving and all you can do is say, okay, I'll take note of that. Right. One that I got, this was in the last two years, uh, some event, this guy, or I, I think it was a guy, goes into this amazingly long diatribe about how it was so terrible how I had, well, he was alluding to the fact that this was my fault because I was the audio engineer, and that he felt like the guy was yelling at him the whole time. Mm. Well, the guy was yelling at him the whole time. It was a speaker. And he was a yeller. Hmm. I mean, he was, he's yelling. Like, what? I, that's not necessarily an audio engineer's job to figure out how to make him not yell. So the volume was fine. You know, that's what we were talking about earlier. You can have good sound and bad sound, and it can be the same volume level. Someone yelling at you at uh, 72 dB for an entire s- service or, or event versus someone talking calmly at 72 dB is a completely different impression to the listener. And so he just laid me out. I mean, this was, I'm like the, I am a demon as far as he's (laughs) concerned. I'm a demon seed. What the heck? Why this guy was yelling at me the whole time. You're the worst. This thing. And I just read it and it was just so awesome to laugh at that and go, what the heck dude. But the mentality that it must take for someone to say all that, and really feel it. Like he was really serious that this was my responsibility to fix that the next wow. time. You know, we need to fix the sound in your room mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So you're right. Those are fun to just go, wow, what a what a great person. <laughs> and then they don't and then they don't sign their name. It's totally anonymous. And you're like, yeah, you're even a better person now that you sent an anonymous scathing note. 
not knowing that you completely discount yourself when you don't actually put your name on it. Sure. You know? And reading this so. now and stopping to think about it, I'll never get that time back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. I got a, a really well put together complaint letter four or five years ago from a lady um, a very well put together. She didn't wasn't trying to tout her amazing prowess at knowing OSHA standards and all that. That seems to always be the fun one. You know, someone looks up OSHA on Wikipedia and tries to tell you the meter that they used on their iPhone said it was 177,000 dB in the room and, you know, everyone's going to die and the they're going to spontaneously combust from loud sound yep. and all that. All she babies will like immediately explode. <laughs> yes. She sent me a letter about, and she just... It was addressed to whom it may concern, and she had some actual concerns about low end. Turns out she has a a high a teenager that was had had some heart issues early in life when he was a baby, and she had some concerns. And it you know it wasn't excessive where we were, but it was so well put together and so thoughtful and caring, even though it was a complaint, that I gave heed to it. And I wrote her back, and I found out who she was, and I met her, and I helped them find a way for that for her to be comfortable with her child. Oh, that's great. And with their whole family. And I was kind of going, you know, so a lot of times we take all the complaints and, and we discard them, and, oh, those people are idiots. Some of them aren't. Um, I'm not saying some... I'm not, you know, or maybe some none of them, of them are, are, but just so, uh, most right. of the time it's really hard to translate whatever information you're getting into some action. Yeah. And so you, you and it's can't a, take action. And you have to understand that they're frustrated. Mm-hmm. Man, they're freaking frustrated. They didn't have a great experience. Again, I do go back to the thing of I can't please everybody, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a point. Yeah. And so this this one in particular was one that actually really improved some things in our room. Now, the things I changed from where I sit and, and the vantage point I have and the mixing location I have, I can't hear the change because I'm I'm 80 some feet from the from front of house or, or you know from the stage. So I changed some stuff down front that affected her and everybody else down there in a positive way. And I, it totally didn't change anything that was going on where I'm listening from, right? Who cares? <laughs> so many of us would get all just pissed because why would we want to, why would, I'm not going to change all this stuff. The room sounds perfect. Who cares? Now, obviously, if you're going to scroll a note and draw a picture of the middle finger on the back <laughs> of an offering envelope and throw it on the console, do people do that? you're probably going to get discarded. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> All right. It, There's a lot of ornery old people that know how to draw. Let me just say that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, you should frame that in your office. No, you should, dude. I you have shouldn't. one. I have one that uh, I had one of the one of the girls frame, and it's sitting. It, it's hanging in the hallway outside. Oh, will you send me a photo is. of that? I want to see that, dude. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, I will. And it's it's got coffee stains all over it. It looks like it's been through a war. And it, somehow it got to me. Someone uh, changed jobs, and he said, hey, I found this in my desk drawer. We've used it around our department for laughs for years, and I thought it uh, should find its way to you. And I was like, oh, that's cool, and I'd never seen it before. But what's so awesome is it was an offering envelope. Someone's written on, misspelled on. It's amazing. But it's time-stamped because it went through the financial department's stuff because it was an offering envelope (laughs) and so it's got a timestamp right on it like like the exact date they received it so i was yeah so i was able to go back through and go oh i know exactly what weekend this came in and what day and i went and looked and i was like yeah and i was mixing so (laughs) awesome (laughs) so cool all right andrew um where is the best place for people to follow your work online we just came out with a, um, a blog on our MXU website, so that's mxu.rocks. And that's we've got several different um, cont- contributors there um, and blogs and stuff, so we're, we're not going to overwhelm it with all of my information, but I've got a, a lot of blogs that'll be that are there already and that will be hitting there you know soon. 
But if you want to see where all of the stuff is, like a lot of my my stuff I've written about audio and leadership and stuff and all that, you can get to all that um, here at Church on the Move. We have a site. It's called seeds.churchonthemove.com. Okay. And that is a it's just a seeds website and it's a site that was created from Church on the Move just to give our stuff away. All of our content, it's not just uh, musings. It's like literal, hey, here's graphic packages. Here's all kinds of free stuff. So that's where a lot of that stuff is. So um, that's two two good resources, you know, to look at. Andrew Stone, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. Yeah, man, this has been great. Thanks for uh, letting me reminisce about some of the good stuff that's gone on. It's it's been fun. Sound Design. <laughs> Sound Design Live is supported by Bob, Dave, DC Sound Op, Ellis, Sinqui, Joel, and Megan. You can start supporting Sound Design Live today for as little as $1 over at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive.